0: Hello, and welcome to Inside Out. If you just joined from last week's episode with Generation DIY, I'm so happy you're here. Each week I interview someone who inspires me about their life story, so make sure you subscribe for new stories every Tuesday. Today's episode was actually the first interview recording I did, and it's with my good friend Sevi Ibar. Sev is like the golden retriever of startup founders. He's always excited about something and always down to try something new. So having this conversation was a lot of fun. Sev and I met in a co-working space in Boston called GSV Labs. Our teams happened to sit next to each other, and we became this pod of education startups. Shout out to Joey, Ryan, and the Techstars companies. Long story short, I ended up working for Sev and his startup College AI, and he and his co-founder Joey helped me do some tech work for my startup, Room2Learn. Today, Sev is the co-founder of Workaround, a tech platform that helps companies clean up their data sets to prepare them for machine learning algorithms. Don't worry, we'll go into what that actually means in the interview. What's special about Workaround is that they employ Syrian refugees who are highly skilled and otherwise would have trouble finding fair and dignified work. In today's episode, we talk about how Sev got his start coding for ham radio enthusiasts, what it's like starting your own company versus working as an engineer for a large corporation, and how his company, and nine others, got scammed by an organization representing none other than Pope Francis. Yes, the Pope. If you enjoy this episode, please give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. One last thing before we start, 7i will be doing a Twitch live stream after the episode. If you want to ask us questions or just hang out, follow at Seveibar, that's S-E-V-E-I-B-A-R, on Twitch and join us this Thursday, December 10th at 5 Eastern. And with that, enjoy the show. So Ibar is a machine learning engineer. He's a serial entrepreneur. I hate saying that because it sounds like your snap, crackle, and pop, but... We'll go with it. A serial entrepreneur, a Techstars alum, and a rising Twitch live streamer. Let's yeah. give it up for Sevy Yes.
1: The crowd goes wild. <laughs> Hello, Jane. Jane, thank you for having me.
0: Severin Ibarluzea. Is that how you say it? Yeah. How'd you get your name?
1: Uh, my first name or last name? Both. My last name I was born with.
0: <laughs> it's, it's Basque, right?
1: I believe so. Yes.
0: Nice. Have you spent much time in the Basque region?
1: I've never been, I've never left this country except for a brief tour through Canada. And then I got invited to a conference in Egypt once. So I went to Egypt.
0: Right. <laughs> so yes. those are the
1: three countries I've been to. I
0: love how when Americans say they go to Canada, they'll just say, I went to like all of Canada. You know, Canada is like a big country.
1: <laughs> That's right. Where'd oh, you geez. go? I went to Toronto.
0: Okay, then just say I, you went to Toronto. Well, look, I
1: didn't tell you where I went in Egypt That's either, true. okay? Where
0: did you go in Egypt?
1: We got a very defensive Canadian
0: here. <laughs> Where'd you go in Egypt?
1: I went to Sharm el-Sheikh, which I'm probably not pronouncing right. Wow. But it is, it's a very safe place in Egypt. Uh, at the time, um, there was a U.S. travel advisory not to go anywhere in Egypt, but then it had an asterisk and it said, except Sharm el-Sheikh. So Sharm el-Sheikh is like a resort kind of place and it's very uh very safe and so they had the conference there it was a conference it was called the world youth conference so that sounds the youths of the world yeah it was all the youths of the world all the youths of the world now they just took like like not just entrepreneurs but like a lot of nonprofit people just like uh like aspiring people who want to want to do things um but i wasn't actually invited uh i ended up being a speaker but i was not invited and what happened was uh, my co-founder of Way Ai, Wafa, uh, she actually, like, like she's spoken, like, on a UN panel. Like, she gets out there and, and does things and talks. But at the time, uh, because of what was going on, she couldn't go to Egypt. So she was able to somehow pass that to me. And then I went there and I, I gave a little presentation
0: <laughs> okay so let's just step back for a second so wayo ai you guys rebranded because you you're still called workaround right but you're shortened as wayo ai
1: yeah yeah that's okay. i the domain was too long we had the domain workaround.online and that's okay. still the name of the company Workaround online inc but it's a little it's a little lengthy and if you go to a dot online domain you probably don't trust it too much so
0: Workaround online yeah that's I mean, five syllables. Yeah. Starbucks Corporation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think most people would just say Starbucks.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Anyway, so tell us, like, what what does Workaround do?
1: So we help with, uh, basically, if you're like a company that does machine learning, you probably are familiar with the problem of you get a big data set and the data set uh, does not have labels or it's messy and it needs cleaned up, uh, stuff like that. So we built a tool that people can basically upload to their data set to. It's an open source tool called Universal Data Tool. And then from there, we help them kind of uh, pipeline that data set to people who do the labeling, that's our displaced workforce, and they get it back and then they can continue building their model. So uh, this is an easy problem to solve if you only have, like, I don't know, a thousand or 10,000 samples or something like that, that you need to label, say like images that you need to classify into categories. Uh, but if you have a million or 10 million, you need a workforce of like a hundred people. So that's kind of where we step in and we can help get it done.
0: So if I was a customer, what would I be trying to do with all these images?
1: Yeah. So some of our recent customers have been like, uh, doing stuff with farming. So say you, uh, just want to, when you take the tractor over a field, maybe you want to analyze how many, uh, vegetables are growing there. So... Um, what that looks like is somebody comes to us with uh, a bunch of videos of like the front of a tractor and then we go through and we put boxes around all of the, all of the vegetables in that image, whatever vegetable it might be, maybe, maybe weeds, maybe, uh, you're just trying to analyze like the ratios of something, um, and then, and then you train your model to learn on that. So vegetation is one or vegetables and farming is one place where it can be used. Some other big places are like manufacturing, like warehouse robotics are huge now. Um, And you don't want people in there because it can be really dangerous. You have like all these big things being carried around, these pallets. So just throw some robots in and have them kind of analyze it just like a human would do, do the same actions a human would do. And there's a bunch of sub, you know, machine learning models you need to build to get those tasks done.
0: So on a farm, would you be looking at pictures of, say, turnips versus potatoes and trying to differentiate them or is that not the type of question well, you're looking? they at?
1: probably put it they probably put those in two different places I, it's conceivable that we would do something like that but more likely it's like you have a robot that m- needs to pick up the tomato the potato and so you need the exact location of it um, you might also want to know something about its ripeness Uh, maybe if there's molding, you need to identify. So we might say, this is moldy, not moldy. If we might just click on a potato for, you know, millions of images of potatoes. And then the innovation that a lot of companies are also doing is like, sometimes you can do most of that automatically kind of build your machine learning model as you label that data. So that's the, uh, that's the exciting new thing known as active learning.
0: Whoa! So I want to learn about active learning, but first off, can you explain machine learning to a layperson like me?
1: Let's see, it's like an algorithm for doing an analysis on some piece of data. Um, so examples of data is like images from a camera, you can also have audio samples, like uh, audio from a microphone, and uh, text data as well. A lot of people do analysis of like things like Wikipedia, or uh, customer support inquiries. So you're talking to what you think is a person on a website, but it's actually a bot. So that's the data. And the machine learning is uh, analyzing that to get some kind of output, basically. Um, Applying a machine learning model is when you have that data, you put it into something, and it gives you some outcome you want. For a customer support inquiry, uh, that might be, let's, for this question, let's direct it to the right article or resource to help this customer out. which is more of like a search thing. But uh, but you could use machine learning for that.
0: Can we talk about college AI?
1: Yeah, we can talk about college AI. Okay. Weren't we going to talk good. about my upbringing in upstate New York?
0: <laughs> you hated for all that. The, for
1: all the listeners, Jane <laughs> told me what she was going to ask me was my upbringing in upstate New York. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that sounds really boring. So I spent <laughs> hours preparing an exciting story of my upbringing. <laughs> Let's I'm just, just kidding, none that. of that is true. None <laughs> of that is true. Like I recently got a call from somebody who uh I had worked with in high school and he was like, Hey, uh remember that code you wrote like seven years ago? Um, I like lost it. Do you have a copy somewhere? And I I had to find it. It it was super hard to find. I had to like dig through Google Drive or something because I didn't know how to store code back then. And I uh And I found it, I sent it to him, and I looked at it, and I was like, this is terrible, like, it it really was bad code. But I was so thankful to this guy for giving me a chance while I was in high school to get that experience of, like, working with this and figuring out that stuff. Uh, I think that particular guy, he built, um, like, these giant radio towers, and the radio towers had to move, and they're crazy big, like, things that you would not expect to move, but... What, he was a ham radio enthusiast, and what they like to do is try to bounce radio signals off the moon and then have it bounce back to Earth and so, you, so you can talk to people. Like um, I don't know. And there's a bunch of people out there who are enthusiasts about this, and they got to move these big towers. So I built a little UI where you could like drag around a tower or something. And this guy, being an older gentleman, did not know how to do websites. So he, he looked for a young high school student to do it for him, and he found me.
0: Wow. So you did it. <laughs>
1: I did it, but it was bad. I mean, it was bad code. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was that the first time you build something with code?
1: No, no. I had a. I it, I was doing websites well before then. I actually had a, a contract, or not well before, but I started coding when I was like 14. I wanted to make flash games online. So that's actually when I started doing things.
0: What and year I, was that? Like oh my gosh. 1980?
1: Uh, well, are we trying to out my age here? <laughs> 1980? Yes. Yes. <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, 1980 exactly. I want my age to be a little bit ambiguous online. That's what I'm. That's what I want. Am- ambiguity until oh, I look old enough where people don't question it. I'm you know hoping what I
0: mean? for like a candid, intimate conversation where we spill all <laughs> age-included.
1: Okay. okay, I'll give a range. I'm gonna say I'm <laughs> um, 25 to 35.
0: How about 25
1: to 26? 25 to 26. <laughs> Thanks, Jane, outed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. All right, anyway, so uh, you were building these flash games.
1: Uh, yes, I was making flash games and, uh, well, I was trying to make flash games, but failing. And I would go to online forums and like paste what I did and it was like not working at all. And then I would just be like, fix this for me, fix this for me. And I demanded it of these people. I was like this rude online kid, right? Cause I didn't know better. I didn't even recognize <laughs> I was talking to real people, right? Cause you know, it work? yeah, it worked. People fixed my code and that's the crazy wow. thing. Like I have so many people to be thankful for at, at that stage. Cause they literally taught me to pro they didn't realize it. They just thought, you know, I don't know why they, it must, I can't figure out why they even did it. Right. And I'm sure people were very rude as well. And I just ignored them <laughs> <and> kept asking, <laughs> maybe they fixed it just to like, get me away. But, uh, yeah, they, they helped out. So that's how I got started. Um, and then I built websites for some people. Actually, I, I probably was good enough at coding to figure out how to build what people asked for, but um, I wasn't good at working with, with the people, actually. Uh, I didn't understand, like, you know, there's, like, design workflows where you send something, maybe you do a mock-up and then the client approves the mock-up and then you build it. But, you know, I just went right into the code, and I kind of took their drawings, like, literal drawings on paper, and tried to create that. So there was, like, a ton of back and forth. And uh, just from a process perspective, uh, these projects were kind of doomed to not give satisfactory results. So that was that was tricky.
0: And then you went to school for software engineering.
1: Yes, sort of. Sort of. Computer engineering.
0: Okay, what's the difference?
1: (laughs) So there's like computer science, which is actually some schools do have software engineering, but um, computer science is normally the thing. And that's like, you know, you're in the software, you're learning about algorithms and software and stuff. And computer engineering is like, between at Rensselaer Polytechnic anyway, which was my college, it's like between the electrical engineering and um, software engineering. So I can actually do some circuits and stuff. And I've done that in the past. What I guess I'm trying to say is the stuff we learned in college was kind of useless, because they were teaching us how to build, like, this low level, like how to interpret a programming language in a computer kind of stuff, which is like been solved a thousand times over at this point, so nobody does that. But people do still build like these little uh, circuit boards that can do things like like the Raspberry Pi or the Arduino. People do that all the time. Um, but you don't really need my degree to do that. Unfortunately, it, computer engineering is sort of a lost thing and it was going down every year, the number of people who took this. Hmm. Um, but, uh, but knowing circuits is cool, especially if you want to do audio stuff, because you got to know how to amplify audio, reduce the amount of noise and, and stuff like that. So if you work with uh, electrical systems and audio, maybe you could use some of the stuff in computer engineering.
0: So you went to RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic <laughs> Institute.
1: Yes. Um, we are an institute, Jane.
0: You're an institute, Yeah. It's
1: funny you said that, though, because I think we're re- rebranding to Rensselaer University so yeah because because of this confusion
0: so what do you think you got out of your college experience what was like your biggest takeaway if it wasn't computer engineering
1: (laughs) i mean i learned a lot outside of class i think but the greatest thing about college is how it brings people together i think like i met so many really really smart really cool people um did all these clubs and stuff uh and yeah working with people on things is so fun learning how to teach too right like uh, some classes you'll be better at and you can kind of help people along. And that's not unlike life where you're helping show your code or helping people through things or whatever you need to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really the, the people and that stuff, I, I don't know, it might've made me a better person, but I, I wouldn't really analyze that too much. I would just say it was a really great time. I, I very much enjoyed that experience. Super yeah. expensive though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love this like collaborative aspect of engineering culture that I feel like you don't find in a lot of other fields even within tech you know I work in marketing right now which is it's somewhat collaborative it's more like you share um you share success success stories or different tips and strategies but it's not so much in the weeds of like hey I'm struggling with this problem and let me post on a forum and have people help me out with that um because that's such a core piece of Um, of coding and and software engineering
1: yeah yeah i do get this impression that in like a design school you have this designer who's alone in their room late at night and they're kind of like scribbling away and throwing paper in the trash and super frustrated (laughs) and then in engineering we're all kind of hanging out i don't know maybe i'm wrong
0: yeah in some ways although i would say in design school you also have this image of an engineer sitting alone coding in a dark room whereas like the design school i went to um was like the space was really special part of the reason i decided to go was it was this like five floor tiered studio where you could it's almost like a stadium where everyone had their own desk but you could see like a panorama of everyone around you working and it was so cool because like everything you produced in design school was visual and and you had all these artifacts lying around so anytime you stepped in it was like inspiration overload
1: (laughs) all right you sold me you sold me
0: (laughs) next degree
1: (laughs) doing my master's
0: nice nice (laughs) so how did you come up with the idea for college ai and did you have this feeling of like oh dang like maybe i should have like thought differently about uh, you know picking a college
1: that's, that's an interesting question. I, uh, a professor that I had at college, the professor who taught me machine learning, um, he really wanted to make this application. And, uh, I was his teaching assistant. And, uh, I was also working like with, uh, uh, Joey Lee at the time who, great friend of mine. That's when it kind of, we were like, all right, let's do this as a fun project and just see how far we can get. Like, can you predict where a student will go to college? It, we, so we were more interested in the solution than, the problem at that phase. We were interested in applying the machine learning skills we had. Um, that being said, I know for Malik, uh, the professor of machine learning, he had an experience that really connected him to the problem because he grew up in Sri Lanka and he did not have access to any resources for picking colleges. And he, he tells this story where he just picked, like, the top 50 colleges from a list of the best colleges in the United States and just applied to all of them. Wow. And... Uh, yeah, and it, it that was crazy.
0: expensive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like one tuition just to apply. Yeah, <laughs> but um, and Joey also had a personal connection with it because he was the first child to go to college in his in his family. Um, so he, so his parents didn't know what they were doing. Um, which is the case with every parent. Like my parents didn't know what they were doing for their first child too. Um, because in the United States the it's pretty complicated how the scholarship system and and all this works. So um, for my oldest brother, my parents didn't apply to any uh, private universities. They were like, private universities are really expensive. We're not going to apply to them. Um, And then they found out later that private universities do actually give a lot of scholarships away. Uh, You need to know your eligibility and you only find out a lot of times after you apply, but you can actually get really good scholarships. so uh, by by time it came around to me, I was the third child. Um, they already knew that, and so it it seemed easier. And I trusted my mom. My mom kind of picked my major and my uh, college uh, in in a large sense. She she really pushed me in a certain direction. And I thank her for it. I think it was a good. I think it was the right choice. Trust mom.
0: Always trust mom. I <laughs> love it. So uh, so what does college AI do?
1: So CollegeAI is a free website where students can go, high school students, and put in their you know, grades, where they're from, their preferences, and then we recommend a college to them based on One basically hundreds of thousands of things. Oh, actually, good point. Yeah. No, we recommend a list of colleges. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> we actually rank all the colleges in the US according to their preferences, which we figure out by uh, computing the likelihood that that's the college they'll go to based on our previous data how are people changing their college decisions today based on the the pandemic
0: well i think a lot of people are just rethinking college altogether you know is it worth seventy thousand dollars a year to pay for zoom classes most would say no yeah. um you without know, the
1: dorm you gotta love the dorm
0: i know you gotta love the dorm and all the
1: did you love your dorm days
0: I, you know, I didn't love the dorm I stayed in because I actually, (laughs) I accepted my offer late. I think I accepted it on the last day, so. Why did you accept it late? So long story short, I had applied to a bunch of U.S. schools and got waitlisted for a few, and um, oh. I was hoping for a scholarship, but that didn't come through. And so my backup plan was McGill, which is where I ended up going. And I will say now that's the best choice I ever made. Loved McGill. You know, it wasn't. Selection
1: bias. Uh, maybe uh,
0: huh? also. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> But, my um, algorithm accounts for that
0: okay i don't think you have Miguel i'm just in I'm AI, though, <laughs> but
1: you totally should
0: but yeah way more affordable than state schools and then i got to go to harvard for grad school so i got my pride of the family checkbox
1: <laughs> are you the pride of your family jane
0: that's a big question sev but
1: yes <laughs> good good
0: okay let's see oh yeah we were gonna talk about active learning
1: Okay, so active learning is machine learning applied continuously as you get more samples coming in. It's kind of like reinforcement learning, but not not totally.
0: Hmm. What's reinforced?
1: So first, reinforcement learning would be like if every time a student came in to the College AI algorithm, if we learn something new based on that student. Um, we actually can't really do that with College AI because... We don't know until the, the student who comes in and gives their preferences, we don't know where they went to college until they tell us like nine months later when we follow up and ask, hey, where did you go to college? So you can't really do reinforcement learning with college AI. Yeah, you have to wait. And so we have to do an approach called supervised learning, which is where you wait for all the data to come in, basically. Active learning is when as people are labeling uh, the data, a machine learning model learns and starts to help you. So... If we were labeling, again, let's say we're looking at, um, you know, a field full of uh, plums.
0: (laughs) You mean an orchard?
1: An orchard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. So we're looking at an orchard full of plums, right? And we want a robot to go pick the plums. So the people have to click on each plum in an image. Active learning would be like you click one plum and then it's like, huh, I know what a plum is now. So it's going to try to put boxes or put the locations of every other plum on there automatically and the user's like, oh great, you did it for me, I'm gonna move on to the next image. Um, So active learning gets better the more you do and it slowly makes that task of actually having humans label the data go a lot, lot quicker. So you save a lot of money if you're you're in this industry, in this labeling business.
0: Okay, I, I have a few questions on, like, your your life and career choices.
1: Oh, are you actually just calling me out?
0: <laughs> Maybe. It's just the way
1: it's positioned.
0: I mean, that's a very defensive way of looking at it, so we're, <laughs> we're all friends
1: here. Well, I'm being prepared to be defensive.
0: This is a touchy subject, but blockchain. Ooh. Yeah. So you worked at SaiaCoin, a company in the blockchain space, uh, a number of years ago, and allegedly you could have cashed out at the time and just made it super big and became a VC. What happened there?
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's kind of funny. Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if <laughs> Luke or David get around to hearing this, but okay, so Luke and David are the founders of, of uh, Sciacoin or Nebulous Labs, which is the company that created Sciacoin. And um, I get, they gave me a really great salary as, an, as basically an intern. I was an intern. <laughs> <laughs> but How much they did you offered, get paid?
0: Can you share? I
1: can probably reveal that. I think uh, I think it was probably like thirty or thirty-five dollars an hour, which was pretty good for an intern. I think. Yeah. At the time, reason. you got to take into account of inflation. Everybody. Uh, it might have been twenty fifteen. Okay. Um. So you know, apply those inflation numbers. So
0: that's only worth like what ten bucks an hour now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Is that what
0: happened? No, Jk, Jk.
1: i don't follow i don't follow that kind of stuff leave in the comments what the uh, value of $35 a day is $35 an hour what what would that what would that be today um but anyway it was a great salary and um i think they at one point offered to pay me at least in some part in the coin uh and it would have been a crazy good deal if i had taken it um Yeah, because Psycoin has definitely, I believe it's gone up at least 100x since then. Wow. Yeah, it would have been substantial. But every entrepreneur who has been around uh, during that phase or was doing anything probably has some story about blockchain where they lost a lot of money. And I think mine is mild compared to some people's horror stories. But yeah, it it would have been awesome. I could have funded all my startups. I probably would have done bad ideas longer. So... (laughs) That's that's one nice thing, I guess, uh, is I'm more accountable to people.
0: <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah, you you like to be on the struggle bus.
1: I do like to be on, on the struggle bus, yes. <laughs> yeah, I like to uh, have, uh, have an environment where you have to get things done. Um,
0: like kind of the, the your hand. one mattress in one room kind of lifestyle.
1: Uh, during college AI, uh, I had a rule where until we made enough money where I could buy a bed... Um. I would not buy a bed and so i slept on an air mattress and i slept on an air mattress for a year <laughs> because we did not make any money for a year oh my
0: god so <laughs> we made very very little so when did you end up getting a bed
1: i uh, i you know at some point you're like you know what maybe this is actually causing long-term health consequences <laughs> sleeping on um an air mattress for a year so i did i did eventually get a bed um but it was a really long time after that I got a bed because we ran out of money. And then for a bunch of months, I was just crashing with friends and eventually stayed a really long time with my girlfriend at the time. And so I didn't need to buy a bed. And that happened for, and then I stayed with her for like a year. So um, really the first bed I ever bought is the current one that I have at, you know, 23 or 24 or whatever, probably 24. I bought a bed for the first time, just a mattress. I got the cheapest one from Ikea. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I, don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm playing it too risky. Plus, I have a great support network. I know if anything ever went wrong, I could stay with Jane indefinitely. <laughs> I know that would be totally okay.
0: We do have an air mattress. So I have a question. So with your skill set and experience, you know, having the technical side as well as having founded companies and run the business operations, like you have a valuable skill set that like if you want to work for a big company, you'd probably get paid bank.
1: Would I they mean, take me?
0: Yeah, I think, I think I'd have to would. convince
1: somebody. It wouldn't It wouldn't be like they look at my skills on a whiteboard and be like, hey, you can come in. Like, I'm not that good at a coding interview. I've actually never been good at coding interviews. Yeah, but that's um, something
0: you can study for. Like, you would do fine.
1: Yeah, but I don't know if I would because everybody knows coding interviews are a waste of time, right? Sure, like,
0: yeah, but you still got to do them.
1: Yeah, but it's not my job. I mean... I- <laughs>
0: Okay, so, so here's my question, though, is, like, have you seriously thought about, like, going to work for someone? And if if not, why not?
1: Well, I went and, I, I you know, I've worked for some pretty big companies. I just felt the whole time that I wasn't moving as fast as I could. I wasn't learning. Um, and that I, I I actually felt like I wasn't there for the company. I liked the people who were in my group. I liked the people who were mentoring me. Um, and And so there was that aspect of it, but I, I didn't feel like I was contributing to the purpose, uh, very dramatically at all. And, uh,
0: where did you work?
1: uh, (laughs) I, now I'm going to feel bad, but TripAdvisor was one that I, that I really realized this because TripAdvisor is an amazing company to work for. They are really, really good. Like they give you food in the building. They have really nice people and it was great. Right. But I realized that even in, they're not even that big of a company. They're like less than a thousand people. But I still realized that every day I was like learning a code base, like some bad, well, not bad, but older code base. You can't just change it all the time. TripAdvisor is, I think, the most popular travel website. So it's really, really big.
0: There's an inverse correlation between the size of the company and like how big your job is. And so definitely if you're looking for learning, like startups will... Uh, quench that thirst. However, I, I feel like at larger companies, like there definitely there definitely is a lot of growth opportunity too. It really depends on the stage of the company, how big they're growing. And I would say that the learning is more in fits and starts rather than like continuous every day. It's like at first there's a huge learning curve to just understand the tool stack to you know get to know. The people in the company the politics like who has power decision-making power and who you need to leverage for things yeah and then like as you you know as you like establish that base and your role in the company then you can like do more strategic things
1: i remember like i think i sat in on one meeting where uh they had this system where product managers pitch their ideas for how the product should change to like a board of executives and like anybody else who wants to show up from the company, and it's literally like a presentation from the room, and they compete on their ideas, and some of them are chosen. And it's it was just like such a cool dynamic, like a cool internal dynamic. So I definitely want to try out those things. Um, it's at like some a hackathon, point.
0: and you kind of get that as a startup when you're in incubator spaces and accelerator yeah. programs and things like that. Like you've been a part of a few, including TechStars. What do you see as a value of, of these kinds of programs?
1: Oh, well, I can't speak on every program because I think a lot of accelerators are really bad. They take a lot of equity and then the value isn't totally clear. Maybe they don't have any portfolio companies that have had have done well. But Techstars is really, really big. It might be the biggest. Um, So it has all of these great network benefits and uh, great philosophies behind it. Um, And through the accelerator, they kind of teach you some of these philosophies. So So to get a little bit less vague, either their number one or one of their top principles is give first. So you're always supposed to help people if they ask and and not expect anything in return. So that's super duper helpful if you just need like an introduction to somebody and and they're kind of uh, a little bit outside the network, but they know somebody inside the network or something. Or if you need help, uh, you can even approach a tech service company that might be competitive with you and they'll give you help. Maybe not all the secret sauce, but it's totally a game changer. So did
0: you sit down with a competitor?
1: Oh, many, many times.
0: Wow. Who yeah, is the competitor?
1: Times. We, we sat down with huge, huge companies that normally would not have talked to us. We've spoken to the CEO of Nirala, which builds a competitive data labeling product. Um, and they probably have the most advanced product in the industry. Uh, they're like the masters of active learning. And, um, uh, uh, we, we have a slightly different customer bases. They're primarily enterprise. We're primarily SMB who we sell to, but. That, yeah, the CEO sat down with us. He showed us all their stuff. He showed us how they demo to customers. Uh, and he was just a really great guy, super helpful. So someday, hopefully, I'll be in that position. Uh, if if I have one of these big companies, I'll be able to help out some, some smaller tech stars companies or, or yeah. whoever.
0: But I want to talk about the Pope because you and Wafa and what you guys are doing with WayOAI got picked up by the Pope like of the Vatican.
1: Yeah. Can yeah, sort of.
0: Can you talk about that? <laughs>
1: this is a crazy story how did you find this is this like so we've is this
0: talked like... about this
1: oh we're
0: friends remember <laughs>
1: <laughs> hard to tell with all these uh uh aggressive all this line this line of aggressive questioning you know i'm just kidding not aggressive at all. <laughs> okay. so the pope or more specifically like or not more specifically like an organization that is adjacent to the pope um I can't even remember the name anymore, uh, because they have they have such a I, I've rejected them from my memory. They were supposed to award us a hundred thousand dollars for helping fulfill the uh, the Pope's mission um, of the, of that year. Like he announced that he wanted to, I think it was like help the displaced people of the world or something like that. It was it was something that was really in line with what our business did. So we applied to um, like be one of the companies that would help with this and and get some money and then go to the Vatican and pitch to a bunch of people and possibly get investment. But then this entire thing fell through and uh, we realized that none of it made any sense at all. Um, And uh, yeah, so like 10 companies were involved and everyone was like, "Ah, yeah, this is great. But uh, then the organization actually didn't have any money. Yeah. Yikes. They're plan was get the 10 companies in and then crowdsource the money so announce it like they had the money then crowdsource the money
0: Hmm.
1: and then distribute it to the companies once they had the money in theory but when they opened up their crowdfunding thing uh, nobody nobody paid there was like they only raised like ten thousand or a hundred thousand or something dollars but they didn't raise that much money at all And then they said, oh, our costs were higher than that. So they didn't actually send any money to the companies either. So everyone who got selected for this thing, uh, including us, was a little mad about it, right? I mean, $100,000 is a lot of money, and we would have gotten a trip to the Vatican. And, you know, I I don't know, I'd I'd go to the Vatican. So that's why I'm saying it's Pope adjacent, because even though they used his picture and said it was associated with the pope now we don't know because
0: wow. that seems
1: like a weird thing to do right <laughs> so
0: you think the whole thing was a scam
1: yeah yeah it might have been a scam and in general if you're an entrepreneur i would be really weary of uh anything that looks like free money <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, no
0: such thing as free lunch I was going to name this podcast Starry-Eyed, and I thought, you know, that was perfect for you because you're always dreaming, like always on to the next thing, like (laughs) always so jazzed and excited. Um, But obviously you've seen the dark side of, of, uh, foundership. So what keeps you going and, and how do you stay positive?
1: Oh, that's a good question. How do you stay positive? There a lot of very successful people are highly anxious people, and they're always stressing about things, right? Mm-hmm. But I will say that every every once in a while, uh, you get like you know like a like a happy message from someone, or you see kind of a success story play out that that you helped enable, and that that really keeps me going. And one of the reasons why I really liked this open source strategy was because uh, more people are using your thing and getting value out of your thing. We work with a lot of refugees from Syria, and the poverty rate in Syria uh, is something like 80% or 85% or something like that. Like, that's crazy. And they don't have access to any of the internet economy because you're sanctioned. In the U.S., you cannot work with Syria. It's just not allowed. Um, We can't have any economic relationships as a company. You could be uh, fined as a company or even as an individual if you enable it. So getting rid of that kind of problem and you would see a lot of like success in that like if if they were enabled and the other problems were fixed like I don't want to take a strong political stance here that we should just do it right now um but you would see a lot of these individuals like create their own businesses and more technology stuff like that
0: are you guys like one of the few internet work opportunities for them
1: oh yeah 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 yeah. if you look at (laughs) if like people are so afraid to work with Syrians because of the US sanctions because they're so they're they're huge the fines are huge Um, you know you have to be really really careful so we spent like six months building systems so that we were very carefully following the US sanctions compliance policy Um, it's a ton of work and uh, the other companies aren't willing to put in the work because there's a lot of cheap labor in other places you don't have to work with refugees but uh, we wanted to specifically address that population, so we we like very carefully read the OFAC sanctions, came up with the sanctions compliance policy, all this really annoying BS stuff that <laughs> kind of stinks, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Never crazy. thought I would be doing that.
0: I know, but I mean, it sounds like you guys are making a huge impact.
1: Yeah, I think there's f- roughly four thousand contractors that work for us, but um, the consistency of work is. Is very difficult to get so mm. it that that makes it tricky like yes we're getting money for displaced people that's great but they also need stability <laughs> mm-hmm. so if you can't provide stability we could we, some some weeks you know only 10 or 20 or maybe 30 people can work because we just didn't have enough customers come in mm-hmm. so uh that that gets pretty that gets pretty tricky
0: you guys are having a big impact on this population being able to work online. So that's pretty incredible. Um, would you say like that's a big motivating factor for you to keep going and, and work on this business? Or are you more kind of interested in, um, you know, the technical side and just seeing where you can take that?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it was I wanted to do the technical side before workaround. Um, I was really interested in how can we make labeling easier because if I was building an artificial intelligence company that had to do this task and it was really, really painful, but I did not see an avenue to do it until workaround because one way that companies win as a labeling company is they, they sort of underpay or do not treat the workers well. Um, and our workers consistently tell us that we are the best platform to, to work for with no exaggeration. It's not, and I'm not saying that to say like, we don't need more workers and i'm not saying that to say like oh you should work for us or whatever but really the treatment of other workers on other platforms can be just really really bad where you know they'll work for a month and won't know how much they're going to get paid because the work is reviewed in this opaque process so they don't know um less than one dollar an hour rates are super common um and uh and yeah, just a bunch of things like that. Unpaid training, like that's all common practice because there are n- there's no regulation. This is all over the world that this stuff is happening. No local law is going to protect you when you're working with these international companies and, um, and, and all this, yeah, so.
0: Wow, that's pretty crazy. So you've been <laughs> streaming on Twitch lately. Yeah. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, so I, uh, why did I start streaming on Twitch? Um, and why am I doing it now?
0: I mean, it's COVID, so everyone's doing it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Everybody seems very jazzed about the idea of live streaming. Like when I asked people to live stream with me, they were all pretty excited to do it. And I was surprised. Like I didn't realize that so many people were interested in this. And then like the part of my brain that looks for market signals started going off. And I was like, wait a second. What is so interesting to people about live streaming right now? it's already a little bit saturated in gaming. I think people might've gone as far as you can go with gaming, but with other jobs, like if you think of apprenticeships over the, you know, when did they have apprenticeships in the medieval ages, 200 years ago or whatever. Um, <laughs> they have those
0: you... now in architecture.
1: Oh, well, anyway, so anyway. 200 years ago, <laughs> they... <laughs> you would watch the master kind of work, right? I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, why don't we have this for our professions? Like people are alone at home. They miss having coworkers. People must like having coworkers, right? I mean, to some extent, like there are good parts. And so this is like a way of selecting your your coworker to get somebody who's very talented that you can be uh, either an apprentice to or you could just learn alongside of, right? I wanted to understand what... Currently, that space looked like, and I also wanted to know, okay, so how do you how do how does somebody actually grow on Twitch? And I did think it was interesting how you can really just start, and if you're interesting, people will just stay, and more people will join, and and the the growth to me coming from a startup where growth is like zero, and then suddenly it's a hundred, um, it was surprisingly consistent. Uh, in the, within science and technology, within professional learning kind of uh, live streaming. Um, so it's actually, and that made it actually fun because I'm used to getting no feedback for long periods of time, but now I get consistent feedback. So um, so it's fun and it's going to be a big market. So get in now, entrepreneurs. Get it's in time. now. It's time. The day of live streaming is soon.
0: You heard it here from Sev. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that framing of it as like co-workers you choose kind of thing. That's yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Well, cool. This has been a blast. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, yeah, thanks for sharing your story, sharing your wisdom. It's been a minute.
1: Yes. Thanks for uh, for having me on, Jane. It was fun uh, getting to know each other, and uh, I hope to be on in the in the future at some point. Can we keep all of that? <laughs> are you going to cut that, Jane? <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, we can keep
1: it. Yes. All right, sweet. Thank you Yay! so much, Jane. Yay!
0: Thank you, Sev. Oh, shit. I forgot to ask you. Okay, if listeners are interested in finding out more about you, they want to follow you, where can they find you?
1: Okay. All right. So you have to... The Guys, this is going to be tough, okay? All right, pull out your phones now because this is going to be a tough one. I'm just warning you. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the first four letters of Severin. Then we're going to take the first four letters of Ibarluzia. This is supposed to to be like a two-second response. Oh, a two-second... Okay, all right, all right, hold on. Okay, so at sign... uh, By the way, on Twitter, okay? At sign, S-E-V-E... IBAR. Don't cut that Jane. Don't don't cut out the beginning part because otherwise, you know. Okay, so SEVEIVAR. Jane's going to cut the hell out of this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I hope you had as much fun as we did recording this episode. If you enjoyed it, make sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to hang out with me and Seb, we'll be live streaming on Twitch this Thursday, December 10th at 5 o'clock Eastern. Be sure to follow at InsideOutWithJane on Instagram, and I will see you next Tuesday.